0: May I direct your thoughts to the book of Acts, to the first chapter, and we will read again verses 9 through 11. (coughs) Acts chapter 1, from verse 9. (coughs) And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, Why stand ye gazing up into heaven, this same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven? shall so come in like manner, as ye have seen him go into heaven. The message of Scripture is life through death, and I think we have that very clearly evidenced in the context in which we read these words, the Ascension of our Lord. Now, the present seems to us all important, and in a sense it is, for it is as we sow today, that we shall reap tomorrow. But unfortunately, we restrict our tomorrow to this present age. Our thoughts are not if we will die well, but our thoughts are often consumed with how we live, what we earn, and what prosperity might we enjoy. Our thinking is tempered by what is in this uh, present life. But as we all know, of course, this is not the biblical emphasis. There we are told that God cares for us and that he will give us what is good. But the all-important consideration is life after death. It was Thomas Chalmers, the great mathematician and the greater still preacher, who said, Mathematician as I was, I had forgotten two magnitudes, the shortness of time and the vastness of eternity. And I am sure that all of us can agree with that. We may not be, and I certainly am not, a mathematician, but we do forget the shortness of time and the vastness of eternity. And we see this truth set before us very clearly in the example of our Lord whilst he was in this world. He was quite detached from the aspirations and possessions of this life. He was born poor. He never possessed what other people did. And he tells a would-be follower Foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests But the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head And when he came to Calvary to die The death of atonement You will recall that he exhorted John to look after his mother and clearly her needs were looked after by John and uh, we can contrast this with the disciples themselves you will recall how they were taken up with the grandeur of the temple building. And with thoughts of positions of authority. When Christ was deeply engaged in the thought of the sufferings of Calvary, two of the disciples were deeply concerned about positions of honor and places that would give them a sense of greatness in this world. You will recall how they approached James and John, their mother, to ask Jesus that when his kingdom was established that they would have a place, one on the right hand, and the other on the left. Extraordinary. And even at this late stage in Acts chapter 1 when Christ is talking about his ascension they ask the question would he at this time restore the kingdom? Lord, would thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel and it is extraordinary that the disciples in spite of all that they had heard and witnessed they were yet caught up with this idea of advantage and of greatness It's in us all. Uh, Principal MacLeod, the late Principal MacLeod, was taking communion services in a certain part. And he asked one of the elders, when they were talking between the services, what is the first commandment? And before the elder could say anything, he answered it. To be great, for man to be great. That is in us. And in some way, however humble we may appear, there is within us that desire to have a preeminence of some kind. Uh, and when you begin to think of it, how often our Lord corrected the disciples during his lifetime, and yet before his ascension, they still were taken up with this idea. Of the restoration of Israel, a tiny nation, very small in comparison with the rest of the world, with Israel and themselves. And the rest of the world was to them something that was not in their calculation just shows you uh, how careful we should be against what destruction, pride can work in us. And we all have it, whether it's a child or an adult. There is that sinful disposition where we want the first place and where we want to be more important than others. Now then, tonight for a little, we will try to expand on what is set before us here. First of all, we will look at the post-resurrection appearances of our Lord, and then the ascension And last of all, his return. Now, the post-resurrection appearances uh, were made up within 40 days. Christ, after his resurrection, uh, was 40 days on the earth. And if you are in doubt as to the resurrection of our Lord. And there are millions and billions of people that don't believe uh, that there was such a thing. There are even preachers, ministers, theologians that don't believe that uh, that there was a physical resurrection of Christ but you bring yourself to what the Bible has to say and remember that the Bible commands authority because Christ himself said that not one jot or tittle of what the Bible declares will fail of fulfillment. Now, if you are going to question the authenticity of the Bible, then you are saying that Christ is not telling the truth, that he is a liar. And I wouldn't like to be in your shoes if that is the way of thinking in your life. I wouldn't like to go to eternity. I wouldn't wish to die thinking in my heart that Christ, who is the truth, that he is a liar. And remember, there are various uh, milestones in the, the cementing of evidence for every man, woman and child First of all, there is no question as to that Jesus was born, uh, that he was born in Bethlehem. There is no question there. It is authenticated in a variety of ways. And one of the ways that it is authenticated is by the arch-enemy of true religion, Herod the Great. You will remember when the man from the east came following the star and they inquired as to where the king of Israel was to be born. And when Those who knew the scriptures in Jerusalem were asked by Herod, they said, Bethlehem. Now, such was the uniform teaching of the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi. Such was the teaching that even Jews who crucified the Lord had no doubt whatever that God promised that Messiah would come to deliver the word in the manner that it was going to be delivered. No question at all. Caiaphas wanted to put Christ to death and he was instrumental in contributing to what led up to the death of Christ. But he never questioned the fact that Messiah was promised. And when you come to the birth of Christ, you will remember that Joseph was warned in a dream to take the little child to Egypt because Herod would kill him, and Joseph did that. But you will remember also that Herod, when he saw that he was mocked by these wise men, took revenge on Bethlehem, and he slew children under the age of two years of age. And remember also that at the crucifixion there was present the representative of the world power of that day, the Roman Empire, Pontius Pilate. And it was at the judgment seat of Rome that in Jerusalem Christ was declared a criminal, a pretender by his accusers. And his accusers were Jews. And remember, among these Jews were those who were prominent in the church. The church crucified our Lord. Man in his wisdom did not know God. Did not recognize him. But the reality is, as Paul said at a later stage, and he was an enemy of Christ until he was converted. Uh, Paul said this thing, talking to King Agrippa, what happened at Jerusalem, the crucifixion of Christ, was not done in a corner, it was something that was central to the world of that day for the publicity that would spread out not only through Jerusalem but through the various parts of the Roman Empire because various people came up to Jerusalem at the time of the Passover from all over the world. Remember there were Jews scattered uh, throughout the world as they are today. And there were also Gentiles who were seeking after the God of the Jews. You will remember that there were certain Greeks who came to the disciples uh, with the request that they would love to see Jesus, so we would see Jesus. And remember also that when he was put in the tomb, there was a large stone uh, blocking the entrance, which was so large that the women who went with intention to to, uh, anoint the body uh, (coughs) wondered who would remove the stone for them because it was so big and so heavy. And alongside that, The Jews themselves said that they they called Christ a deceiver. They said that this deceiver said that he would rise again. And in case the disciples came and stole the body and would say that he was risen to set a watch on the tomb, by this time Pilate Pilate, who failed as a judge, miserably failed, for fear of the Jews. His own record was a very questionable record. But by this time he was disgusted with the Jews. And he said to them, Well, you have a watch. You make it as sure as you can. And they did. And against that, there was the reality of the witness of women who were first at the tomb. It was not the men who were first at the tomb. On that early morning, on that first day of the week, it was the women who were first at the tomb, among them Mary Magdalene, What a debt she owed to her Lord. Possessed with seven devils. What a terrible condition that woman must have been in. But Christ delivered her from her condition. He cast out the devils. She was there, Mary and the others. And they found the tomb empty. The stone had been rolled away. And the soldiers had been told to say that the disciples had stolen the body by night. And if it came to the governor's ears and failure on the part of the soldiers would have meant death to them, they would have been put to death. They had failed in their duty to do their guard work. Um, They said, if it comes to the ear of the governor, we will put the matter right so that nothing will happen to you. And that is told to this present day. And... Paul says again, the arch-enemy of Christ at one stage, a great Pharisee, a very religious man. He said that over 500 were alive who witnessed the risen Christ. This was because even at that stage there were people that were saying that Christ had not actually risen. You will read the chapter in Corinthians. So there is, a, at the human level, a huge amount of testimony that Jesus did rise from the dead. So, if you are being tortured with the thought, did Christ really live? Was he who he claimed to be? The testimony in Scripture is such that if it were presented to any law court today, except a corrupt law court, it would receive that testimony. You imagine if somebody in Inverness was found guilty or at least was charged with some offence and 500 people said, no, he didn't do it. What would the judge do? He couldn't do anything else but say that the charges were false and he would dismiss them. No question about it. Five hundred. So, my dear friend, you may have doubts. You're not the first one that had doubts about Scripture, about the reality of the Christ. But if your eyes are open to look at the evidence, it is there in Scripture, clear, bold, unmistakable, And we see how at the post-resurrection appearances he appeared to the disciples. Now he was 40 days on the earth after the resurrection. And the crucifixion of our Lord was a great shock to the disciples. A tremendous shock. They didn't... Although Christ told them he was going to die, he plainly told them, but they just didn't accept it. They couldn't accept it. Neither could they accept some of them, the fact that he was resurrected from the grave. You will remember how Thomas said, if I don't see the marks of the nails and where the sword penetrated his body, I will not believe that he is risen. Words to that effect. I will not believe. And you will remember how uh, a week after that, Jesus appeared and he said to Thomas, Reach hither thy fingers. Place them in the marks of the nails. They were there in his body. Oh, how blessed and glorious, Lord Jesus, how immeasurable his patience is, and the kindness of his love, how beautiful beyond description. And whoever you hear maligned, Remember, if you are witness to the maligning of the Lord Jesus, I hope, by the grace of God, that you will not be silent. Mm -hmm. Jesus is Lord. Let the world say what it will. And it is a glorious fact that he is Lord. But the disciples, after the crucifixion, were shocked. They were deep in shock. Can you imagine, and you can't, neither can I, what the people in the Ukraine are experiencing after the onslaught that has been made upon their persons and their homes, just out of the blue, a sovereign nation. Uh, And can you imagine what, uh, uh, after witnessing uh, uh, the bombardment day after day, night after night, how shell-shocked they are I recall a minister who was a soldier in the First World War, the father of the Reverend D.N. MacLeod, who's retired in Arran. And if you were in his presence sometimes, and he was a big man, a hefty kind of man, and uh, just out of the blue, he would just jump the whole body. It was because he was shell-shocked. He came through the First World War. He was an infantryman. Uh, And when you come back to these disciples, what had happened, the venom that showed itself through the minds and the actions of the elite in Jerusalem, Remember, it was not the scum of a community that were showing their disrespect to our Lord, but the educated, those who were considered to be senior citizens of a reputable kind. The Bible says the world in its wisdom Knew not God. And you will recall how in uh, that situation how the disciples were so shocked after what happened. It's a shocking thing when you see somebody going berserk and doing just horrible things. People have nightmares and continue to have nightmares and they need treatment, medical treatment or mental treatment to get back to a sort of normality. And the disciples were shocked. Forty days and Christ was appearing. Not... Consistently, but time after time, some of these appearances are recorded in the scripture. And remember also that scripture is a summary. John tells us, the Apostle John, that if everything was written of what Jesus did, the whole world would not contain the books that would be written. And so we see the disciples in these 40 days going through a period where they were being reinstated, where they were given time for recovery and being reminded that something else was to happen, that they were to be to receive the Holy Spirit. They hadn't yet received the Holy Spirit in the sense that they were equipped to preach that Jesus is the Christ. Oh, my dear friends, we cannot utter a syllable of truth without the gracious enabling of the Holy Spirit. It is not our own cleverness or our own knowledge that allows us to come to certain conclusions. There are propositions that come at us in Scripture that will defy the greatest genius in the world to unravel. You have only to look at the Murray Firth there ebbing and flowing gallons of water. How many gallons? You say, you're not going to measure in gallons. And if you went down to the shore and started measuring, how would you start measuring? (coughs) Mm -hmm. With a pale, Uh, well, if you did that, people would rightly come to the conclusion uh, that you were suffering from mental delusion, and you would be. And think of the power that enables the tide to ebb and flow. I I, I can never get over it. Uh, The world is full of the works of God, And, of course, people who are genii, they're they're, they're brilliant people, there's no question about that. And they will tell you that the working of the universe presents to them problems that they cannot uh, solve that goes beyond what their minds can reach into. Uh, We have various theories uh, and these theories are extraordinary. Uh, The extraordinary. And the idea is that Out of nothing, something happened. With all the intelligence that you see in man and in animals and birds and fishes and all the rest of it, a wonderful, wonderful world. What enables the cuckoo to come in early May or even late April, from Africa and then, in July, to return. And I am told that the young cuckoos make their own way back to Africa. What enables the salmon that is bred in a Scottish river? to find its way across the Atlantic and to come back again. It's extraordinary. Extraordinary. And what man himself is able to achieve, it's wonderful, really, really wonderful. And one is not taking away from these people who have been gifted with such gifts. Of course, don't forget, there are brilliant men, genii, who are Christians. Ah, there's no question about that. Scientists that are Christians. So when they say to you, oh, well, that is not scientific, what the Bible is saying, well, scientists, credible scientists, scientists, do believe what the Bible has to say. But to come back uh, to what Scripture is saying here, the disciples had to have these 40 days in order to get them into the situation where they would be waiting for uh, the... uh, Time when they would receive the Holy Spirit. See the preparation. Uh, See the preparation. Time is of the essence, but time is not something that has to be shortened or lengthened in the reckoning of God. God is great, none greater. And I hope, dear friend, that you will be asking grace as I ask for grace every day and night, that I will be enabled to receive Christ as he is freely offered in the gospel. doesn't matter what your past has been or what your present is. Or the difficulties that you have. Come with your difficulties. To the Lord himself. Privately. Ask God for help. That is what he is telling you. God says look unto me. All ye ends of the earth. And be ye saved. Oh you say I'm not good enough. Ah, well, nobody is good enough. Go back to the scriptures and the Holy Spirit has seen proper to record the terrible failures of men of eminence in the Christian faith. We were looking at Jacob this morning. He had his terrible failings. But he was a giant in the faith, no question about that. Look at the life of King David. He is mentioned as a man after God's own heart, and yet he had been guilty of contributing to the murder of Uriah, the husband of Bathsheba, whom he married at a later stage. Think of, of Mary Magdalene that I have mentioned already, with seven devils, what, what, what kind of person she must have been. and These are incidents that are set before us. It doesn't exhaust the list of all whom God will save. Far from it. That is not what the Bible is doing, but it is telling you that God is able to save unto the uttermost. And who can plumb the uttermost of God? Oh, you see, there are other things that Scripture has to say. Yes. It is by grace you are saved. That means that you are enabled to receive. But are you included? That is not something that you can investigate. You cannot do it. There is no question about the doctrine of election. But the doctrine of election presents an area of divine activity that no theologian of ordinary men and women can expand or explore to the point that they can understand it and give the reasons behind it. Can you explain why Christ wept over the Jerusalem if at the same time he knew that Jerusalem couldn't come to him anyway. They weren't elect. Of course you can't. That would be blasphemy. How do you explain it? You can't explain it. No minister can. But it is quite evident that it is by grace you are saved. That's a wonderful thing. When you go to the doctor's surgery and you... are feeling pretty under the weather. If the doctor asked you tell me what's wrong with you well you could answer him well if I could tell you what's wrong with me I wouldn't be here. You can tell him symptoms things that you feel in your body pain and Things like that. But you can't tell what's causing it. What part. Where is there a malfunction? In the brain, wherever it is. Whatever it is. And aren't you grateful to the doctor when he is able to diagnose? He prescribes or he operates or he sends you to hospital and you op- he operates and you recover your health. Aren't you grateful to the doctor? He has skills and understanding that you and I don't have. Ah, well, God is the greatest doctor of all, the greatest physician. He is able to save unto the uttermost. These are not my words, but they are biblical. Is there anything Christ says that is too hard for the Lord. Anything. Uh. Well then, there you have the preparation and the Holy Spirit came. Then we see the purpose of the ascension. The visible historical ascension had a very real purpose and why did Christ go up visibly before them uh, with, before the disciples who had gathered there? Uh, well, because in his wisdom he chose that that is the way things would happen. He could have just disappeared as he did after his resurrection when he would show himself to the disciples and then he would vanish that was after his resurrection but he didn't do that he went up visibly before them and the reason why he went up visibly before them that he wanted them to know that he had gone for good the manifestations that they had experienced during the 40 days was now at an end. Another stage had been reached in the purpose of God. and uh, Instead, they were to wait for somebody else, the Holy Spirit, then their work would be done. In the power that is unstoppable. Now, the disciples didn't convert one person, but they witnessed as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance, and they were enabled. You remember Peter at the gate beautiful, there was this poor man, who was dependent dependent on the givings of others. He had no health to earn his own livelihood. And he sat there looking to those who were going to worship, if they might give him something. Do you remember the words of Peter? Silver and gold have I none. Ah, well. None of us can say that. Neither can we say what he said, what I have I give thee in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. And he did. And that man went dancing into the temple. And so would you if you were released from a bondage that had made you a beggar for your previous days, however long that had been. And then the men were looking at Peter and John as if they were supermen. Peter said, don't look at us as if we had done this by our own power. He very, very clearly dismissed any idea that they had the power to restore that man to health. It was the work of, the, of Christ, the work of Christ, the work of the Holy Spirit. And so he is coming again. <coughs> we don't know when. People have been predicting, and I'm sure people are predicting just now, that the end of the world is near. It may be, we don't know but we have no idea when the end of the world will be. It's all sufficient that Christ knows and he's going to come again. And for those of you who are believers, it will be such a wonderful occasion. The dead rising out of their graves or wherever their remains have been scattered to meet with Christ. The day of his espousals, as the song puts it. Isn't it wonderful for the Christian that this life moves? to this wonderful conclusion. Do you remember the words of the song? Awake, O north wind, and come thou south, and blow upon my garden, that the spices may flow. You know how the north wind is always a cold wind. The south wind is a warm wind and there are the rough sides to life and there are the encouraging sides to life and they come together but in that day it will be the end of this world as we know it and <coughs> the beginning of the new but what if you are not a Christian oh well nobody spoke more often about a lost eternity than the Lord Jesus Christ and every time I think of it it puts a shudder through my frame the thought of anybody going to a lost eternity I hope my dear friend that you and I will not open our eyes in a lost eternity but remember whoever you are that you are invited to look to Jesus who says to come unto him and to be saved let us pray Lord we seek grace to worship thee and we look to thee to open our minds and to enable us to receive thee as our saviour O Lord forgive us in all wherein we sing, for Thy great name's sake, Amen. Amen. Let us close singing in Psalm 36. Psalm 36, on verse five. Verse five, Thy mercy, Lord, is in the heavens. Thy truth doth reach the clouds Thy justice <coughs> is like mountains great Thy judgments <coughs> deep as floods Psalm 36, from verse 5 through 9 To God's praise Thy <coughs> mercy, Lord, is ever- next Sabbath at the usual times of 11 a.m. and 6.30 p.m., taken by the Reverend William Macleod, God willing. <coughs> the prayer meeting on Thursday, 2nd June, at the usual time of 7.30 p.m. will be taken by Ian Martin, God willing. The building fund collection is due today. The remaining balance of the witnesses are on the table There are sheets with a summary of the General Assembly on the table in the vestibule. Please take one. It is with regret that we have to tell you that Mrs. Ferrier, widow of the Reverend Hugh Ferrier, is very seriously ill and not expected to recover. (coughs) The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you. Amen. Amen. Amen.